0: Hello everyone, and thank you for being again with the Recursive podcast. In today's series, we're in Bucharest, and I'm super excited about this location and everything that I've been experiencing so far. Our next guest, Ilinka Paun, is someone who knows the price of taking big risks to chase freedom and the excitement of the unknown. She was at the top of her corporate ladder as the manager of Colliers in Romania she quit her job as an expert in real estate to become an explorer later on she co-founded the entrepreneurship academy and today she is the managing partner at impact hub bucharest mentoring and advising young people into their entrepreneurial journey and also investing in them very happy that you are here, Ilinka. <laughs> welcome to the recursive podcast
1: thank you Irina. i'm very happy to to be here thank you for the invitation i'm honored
0: It's very interesting for me that um, when you started your career, um, it was so far away from entrepreneurship. You actually studied for a civil engineer back then, right?
1: Architecture.
0: Architecture.
1: Yes, I'm a proud architect by profession. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, How did it then change to the business world and to careers and the corporate career? Uh, by chance,
1: actually, uh, probably a little bit by the design of the fact that I wanted to be a director since I was little. Okay. Uh, probably it was something my family somehow instilled in me. But I was I was very, very much on the way to build my, uh, my power. And uh, actually, I wanted to be an actor when I was, I think, in high school. Then I wanted to be a movie uh, director. So from this very artistic side of me... I also had a, a good background in math. I like science. And then a colleague of mine, uh, my, my best friend back then said, I'm, I am w- I want to study architecture. And I said, OK, there is science, there is art. So I think I would be good at it and I would like it. But it was not something that I uh, uh, you know, wanted to do for a long time. Um, then I went into the university. I studied a bit outside in Spain and England. Mm-hmm. And I was very attracted by the idea of making money, doing business, being in the front of the cameras, uh, being on the planes, traveling. I also had in mind this idea of you know making business presentations in front of big boards of people, and they would listen to me uh, to every word I, I, I was saying. I, I think I was too much in the search of fame and glory back then. So when I... Um, when I had this uh, chance to become a part of a corporate, uh, I immediately said yes, because I worked on a construction site for two years and it was dusty and it was cold and it was, you know, I had to carry the, the papers of the chief architect. And I'm I not creative at all. <laughs> Where's my fame? Where's my glory? Where's my money? No, 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 this is not for me. I got to go, you know, make myself a career in the corporate. Uh, it was 2000 and in Romania, Clearly, the corporate world could offer training, education, money, a much higher salary compared to, let's say, my colleagues in the same generation and same Mm. background of education. It was the golden ticket Mm. and I I took it.
0: And you actually made a very good career out of it, of this ticket. 18 years. 18 years.
1: 18 long and hard years, I would say. And, and happy and intense, very intense.
0: In the end, I think you were representative for the uh, country here in Romania for uh, four yeah. years.
1: Yes, eight years I served as a CEO for Romania.
0: What did you learn during these 18 years that maybe now helps you be a better advisor to young entrepreneurs and also being an entrepreneurial spirit yourself?
1: Um. <laughs> I learned m- most of the things I know I learned in the corporate years uh, from good stories and bad stories. Uh, I did a lot of mistake mistakes as a manager. I think I was a good salesperson. I was a good, let's say, presenter. I was a person that could um, trigger some attention. Uh, I could structure my speech, I was well educated, I could dress well, so I, I made a good first impression. But in, when I came into the management role, it's not about first impression only, and it's, you know, you, uh, people around you can see who you are they see through you mm. as a manager and you should have much more substance much more competence when it comes to understanding people around you being adaptable flexible to what they want to you know how to take decisions that take in account their needs and their ideas and i wasn't prepared for this i was too much of a of a um, Maybe it's harsh, but looking back now, I was too narcissistic and ego-driven because I wanted this fame and glory, and I knew I had some kind of intelligence to help me get there, Uh, but I I was completely oblivious to how to communicate well with people as a manager, like really build a team. So I learned a lot from my, my mistakes and my failures. Uh, because I wasn't a great manager at the beginning, probably I never was a great manager, but I became a good enough manager later when I took the role. And it was funny. the more i <laughs> the more they promoted me in management roles, the more I thought, "Oh, okay, so I should be able to do this, but I'm not very good at it. So let me try hard. Let me learn more. let me. so I, I was a learner every day. And I I also discovered clearly that I need to learn a lot every day because I'm not necessarily a natural in this position. Uh, I also asked myself, why do I want it so much if I'm not a natural? Why why am I in this position? Why am I a CEO of Collier's Romania? And these questions probably also made me give up the role at one point because maybe the answer that came was, Maybe somebody else is a better manager than you are. You know, listen to your heart. What do you want to do really in in life? Um, But on the practical side, I learned how to run meetings, how to take decisions. I was very brave. So I took decisions in um, risky situations. I'm great in crisis management. Mm. (laughs) Great means (laughs) that I don't panic and fall off my chair. I mean, great means, okay, I know how to calm people down and say, what do we need to do? You know, Where is it burning? What's the fire? What can we do? Um, and people really appreciated this in me. If, so, if it's something that I was good at, I was good at this confidence, showing confidence. Inside, I was burning. I was super anxious and super uh, uh, afraid. Of everything around me, but this gave me this need and power to, to impose, to validate myself, to stay f- firm on my feet, mm. uh, and people who were around me, sir, you know, kind of okay. Uh, if Linka, it's fine, everything will be fine, you know. If, if she, she, she seems okay, she, she seems to have this in her hands because we've been through three crises, major crises in in Colliers. When I took over, it was after the real estate crash in 2010. Uh, Phones were not calling. People were fighting in the office. Everything was a disaster on the financial side. uh, We went from 27 million to 3 million in revenues. So, and that's when I was given this role.
0: What a chance.
1: (laughs) And uh, yeah, I was lucky to receive the role in those conditions. And um, it was tough years, but people... That were really, um, um, how should I say, only people that um, uh, built the culture will meet with me together. Were the ones that stayed forward. So it was a, a moment of rebirth of colliers, and I worked a lot at, at the culture.
0: Mm, yeah, I think crisis quite often falls in a corporate environment and also in the personal life is kind of a filter for who is really, you know, sticking with with you and, you know, with your values and who is not like, who is there for the wrong reasons. Uh,
1: Being in real estate, which is a very transactional, money-oriented, rigid world, uh, people don't have time to talk about values, to talk about a mission, to talk about what motivates them. Uh, Usually the, the answer was money. You know, I'm here for the money. Uh, And this was bad because when the crisis came, there were no money. So why stay? Hmm. So I tried to build a bit on the legacy of my predecessor uh, because he started the movement into, okay, let's build a a great culture that people would love to work at Collier's no matter what is outside. And this was a tough mission. And I, I managed to have some results, In the areas of education, people in Collier's were reading books. We were doing a lot of trainings, discussions, workshops. I was a learner and I transmitted this forward. I was reading a a book per week. We were having reviews of books. We were having speakers. So really, it was all about getting educated ourselves to have a, a good life for ourselves and transfer this to everybody around us, families, friends and clients. Um, And then the second crisis came in 2013-14, because the economy was Mm. also struggling. The competition was very tough and we entered in a red ocean with all the other competitors. Uh, I was not very good at it. I'm not good at fighting um, in the dirt of the Mm. competition. I think because I got tired of it when I was younger, I was very competitive. I was in all the Olympics uh, contests and I just got tired of hating the per- person next to me instead of loving them and collaborating with them. So mm-hmm. this, this feeling of competitiveness, I had it so strong that it, it exhausted me. And I said, no, I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, also, this was part of the one reason for me leaving Colliers because it became the market became too tough and rough for my 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 need, my emotional and my human uh, mm-hmm. probably moment in in my life.
0: Oh, I find this very interesting what you're saying. I've never been that competitive, so um, I'm wondering how does too much competition. To you know, a person like you might hurt you, like internally, to a point where you give up everything (laughs) that you before that craved for. I mean, because you said that you wanted to be, you know, the boss and have the fame and the money. You actually achieved all these things, and then after eighteen years, that wasn't enough. And competition was harming harming you in a way internally. Yes. How does this feel? It
1: felt um, dehumanizing because competition meant um, I'm looking at, at my shoulder and whoever is there, I'm going to hate them so I can win against them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it, this makes uh, me become very lonely.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Uh, this th- this makes the conversation be only about bragging about results about who's the who's better who's the best who won this client who made more money who's you know who who's god in this market and i really 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 at one point understand life is not about this but i wanted it so much before so for me it was a in me was a major conflict yeah it was like my whole childhood pulled me pushed me in in a direction and I went for it and I had success, but inside I was unhappy. I was feeling lonely. I was having very, a lot of problems in my home, in my house with my kids and my uh, soon to be ex-husband after oh. uh, a while. Also because I felt I couldn't, um, you know, connect properly to them because mm-hmm. I had this to run this fight that was not mine. Hmm. Uh, when I left Collier's, I remember a, a good friend uh, after explaining why I'm leaving and, you know, I want something else and I don't feel well and I feel I'm overwhelmed and I think other people are better at this job and I'm not happy. I don't, don't want to go to the office anymore in the morning. And I was a bit like, you know, com- uh, saying all this stuff. And after the discussion, uh, he came to me and said, now really, you can tell me, did they fire you? <laughs> So people can't believe or they couldn't believe. They couldn't said, imagine no, that this job you don't leave.
0: Yeah, I mean there is this modern concept that we have nowadays about work-life balance, and yeah. I'm wondering now: is it actually realistic when you choose when you when you choose a path like this, you know, to become like uh, you know very high in a corporate organization on a on a leadership mm-hmm. role? Is it actually even a plausible idea to have a work-life balance? What do you think?
1: Um, I thought about this. uh, Trying to conceptualize what happened, Mm -hmm. let's say, in my story. But every story is different. Mm -hmm. If I were to generalize a bit, I would say like this. The corporate world is great uh, for a certain personality. For my personality was... Not great. And I will explain a bit why I think this happens and maybe go through other profiles. If you are a bit narcissistic, a bit ego-driven, a bit um, too much looking for fame and you're too ambitious, the corporate drags you, pulls you, it sucks you in. You are the perfect material if your personality wants to evolve on the ladder, to You know, to grow as a career, to go up the ladder, this idea of going up the ladder means effort, stress, pressure, being the first in the office, living the last, okay, working weekends, working evenings. Why? Because the corporate is, let's say, um, um, using you to the maximum. Mm -hmm. The system welcomes these personalities. (laughs) And you can learn immensely. Okay. You will make a lot of money, but your house will be a mess. Hmm. There is another personality which I think it's 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 better for, for to stay and build a good career and a balanced life, is the personality in which you don't, you're not that ambition, mm-hmm. in which you are more balanced with your own, let's say, you know, results. You don't need to validate yourself every day. You look at the job with a better detachment, and you say, "Okay, I can, uh, you know, uh, disagree with what they say. I can uh, deal with conflict, because I couldn't. For me, conflict was a, a, a way to, you know, prevent me from the ladder. So I would be more compliant and, and look to to meet the results that other established." Mm -hmm. if you do like this you get sucked into the system if you are more again detached uh, from your own ambitions from your expectations and you don't think you deserve it all and you say really am I that good or should I you know maybe ask myself twice if I deserve this promotion why
0: and know my place
1: and I should know my place and know my limits I didn't know my limits I thought I can do anything and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a wonder woman. And I'm, this was a bad mistake to lie to myself like this. And people around you, what happens is that they support this lie. Oh, Ilinka, you're so powerful. Oh, Ilinka, you're great. You are running this corporation and you are in real estate, which is a man-driven market.
0: On top of everything. You yes. are,
1: wow. Yeah. And when they, you hear this, you get more strength, more ambitions, more, more, uh, you get, you become a prisoner of your, you know, of the system. You don't have zero freedom, like you said at the beginning. You know, the exploration for freedom became when you elope, elope when you escape the freedom. I couldn't build my freedom inside. I tried. I, I, I had a lot of autonomy. I tried new ideas, but little. If looking back now, I was very um, uh, acting like a like the system is more powerful than me
0: hmm. if we can relate it now to um, the startup culture mm-hmm. where we see it's a for me a strange you know dichotomy in the way that startup founders actually operate because on one side the industry it's very cooperative. So we help each other. We um, recommend books to each other. We give each other's feedbacks. We are, you know, early adopters, and at least this is, you know, the culture that we're trying to nurture. And at the same time, you have to be real damn competitive to build a product which can, you know, be valued in a global economy. I mean, you have to try to be really like the best if you want to achieve. (laughs) So how do you see that, you know, this kind of mindset that you were speaking about in the startup world?
1: I will give the examples of my students uh, from the Entrepreneurship Academy, because I'm a big fan of their approach to business. And I have invested in four by now startups. Mm -hmm. Uh, run by people 2025 20, of age, uh, and I see no deconstructive competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Their competition is with uh, with themselves, with them, with their own results. They don't talk about competition in a bad way or trying to steal clients. They say, "Okay, this is the market. This is my share." How can I serve better my clients, and they will come to me? It's competitiveness, it's ambition, but it's an it's an ambition not put in um, in the vanity game. Hmm. It's an ambition put in. I want to serve my clients so well, so good. My product will be the best, and this is fine. It's like Apple does. Okay, I don't care about what others do. I want to. It's the you know the. Uh, Finite game versus uh, infinite game. I think Simon Sinek has this concept, which I love. (laughs) Um, And maybe I don't like to be competitive in the red ocean of companies because I'm lazy. Maybe I mean I, I'm okay with any kind of explanation. I
0: feel like you're a bit too hard on yourself, (laughs) too harsh on yourself. I'm
1: old and lazy now, (laughs) but I was not like that back then. I also think it's a matter of age. At one point, you need to be wise. And wise means achieve more results with less effort. Mm-hmm. And I look at these young people and they think a bit more wise than I used to think. Okay, We are going to work efficiently, looking, testing more, seeing what works, a opposed po- a from a corporate. A corporate, they take a decision to launch a product. They build six months the product and then they build a marketing budget and then they you know organize the channels and they hire seven uh, brand managers and they you know and then they talk to the suppliers and organize this huge effort and then they launch and then they wait to see the results startup it's lean okay you do a little thing and you test a part of it and you do an mvp and it's much smarter so innovation in corporates should happen in the way they test build measure learn And build again Mm -hmm. Uh, to waste less money to waste um, uh, less money indeed, and to put people in roles that are more adaptive, agile, uh, and I think they would achieve much more.
0: Hmm. I think there are cases where you you would rather need the agile approach, and then there are probably also other cases where you probably, like in deep tech, where you need this waterfall approach if you want to do uh, things correctly. Maybe in a way, we're hyping a bit the uh, agility too much nowadays, but when I was listening to you, I was thinking something else that uh, quite often when we're not talented to do something, when we, uh, if it's not innate in, in us and we learn it the hard way, it makes us fitter to educate others, to train others. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, now describing your path as a, as a manager... At Colliers, I was thinking, but you've learned so much that now I would like, you know, to learn from that because <laughs> um, I wasn't born a manager either. I mean, I had to learn it the, the hard way. Now I'm in the CEO position of the Recursive and it's a small organization, but sometimes it's like so overwhelming. <laughs> with, um, and So coming now to the Entrepreneurship Academy why did you start it i mean you had this transformation personal professional in your life and then all of a sudden you decide to go for entrepreneurship academy why that
1: two main reasons first i loved teaching Mm. i loved this idea of Being a professor, uh, in Collier's, in my CEO years, I would often do trainings and learn from books or go myself to universities, courses, workshops, and then come and and teach. Whatever I found interesting, I would bring it in the staff meetings. Our staff meetings were were not about only numbers and situations and clients and results, but also about, okay, how can we, I don't know, define our... uh, service better or look at about this uh, book uh, you know Ron Kaufman or Francis Fry look what they say about how to define value proposition and let's study the theory these are the elements what can we apply they would laugh at me because i would constantly come with new concepts new theories new so they they kind of said oh you could be a good professor so this is one reason the second reason it's very um, probably uh, counterintuitive maybe for most people. Uh, Most people think that it's a contribution, it's altruistic to teach the young people, and you're doing as a mission to give back to society. Very true. But under it, the truth is, at least in my case, it's a way to It's a way to get validated easier. Because the role of a professor is actually less responsibility. You don't get, uh, you know, um, contradicted too much. You don't need to actually do what you say. You just say. They should do it. And if they don't do well, who's to blame? They. So it's a... You know, it's a very easy form mm-hmm. to, to, to be in power. Okay. Mentorship and professor ring, being a professor are amazing, uh, jobs and people that do them with a lot of responsibility are amazing. I mean, I am, I, I'm a big fan of, of these jobs. Uh, but again, I didn't manage to be a great professor either. Mm -hmm. As I didn't get to be a great manager either because I stopped at one level. I stopped before becoming, you know, really into it or super uh, uh, academical about it. I'm very practical. I'm a storyteller. I tell people about what I've done wrong or right or what I think they should do. But I don't take the time and the patience to do research and become a real professor. Uh, Luckily, the Entrepreneurship Academy is a university that we founded together with other business people Mm -hmm. to be practical. We Mm -hmm. don't like academic papers. Um, It's uh, been going on for five years now. We're having about 135 students as we speak. And some of the startups that came out, uh, like Flip, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you researched about it, Uh, or The Outfit or Glow to Go or others uh, or Entropy. I'm just trying to list a few of them Uh, have uh, already a name in the market. And it's a practical school. So I loved it for being practical. It gave me the opportunity to teach and be a coach. Mm. Uh, I felt the need to give back to these young people from my mistakes Mm. But also, in a way, as a way of uh, forgiving myself for them. You know, when you teach forward okay. and you give back to the community, it's a way to get forgiveness, I think. It's a, it's a bit of a selfish way to pay for your sins. And uh, the young people appreciated my honesty and also the fact that I speak uh, more from failures than uh, bragging about my results. Um, and I really enjoy their energy and their ideas. And I, I just, if they come to me with an idea, I, I'm I'm so happy to see that they have the motivation and the drive to do it.
0: So I guess you know young. keeps me young, Irina. Yeah, <laughs> this is another aspect that I've been listening, you know, hearing a lot from from uh, coaches and mentors. Um, um, there's so many things that I would like to ask you about, so first of all, I'm very impressed how comfortable you speak about power. Um, I think this is uh, something that sometimes really you know drives us uh, and not in necessarily in a bad way. I mean, we speak about power quite often in a very negative way, and it's, it's like everything in life it True. has a good side and a and a, and a bad side, True. yeah What I also find very interesting is that you know this teaching experience is cathartic to your you know um to your to yourself for the mistakes that you've done before but now i'm asking myself and i'm wondering do you somehow also try to teach them to deal with their own mistakes in a more mature way because i would say that Mm -hmm. especially here in, in eastern europe we kind of miss this kind of culture We're very harsh on ourselves with um, our own mistakes. We're very harsh on others when they fail. We sometimes even label them like the the failure. We don't give them a second chance. And mistakes are exactly like this quite often. We can learn so much from them. They're so valuable.
1: It's very uh, true what you say. Uh, What I've noticed is that we are too harsh on ourselves about the mistakes, but we are too shameful to talk about them. Mm-hmm. So the, the balance is is the other way around, is I accept I made mistakes, I accept my limitations, okay? I accept I want to learn and I need to learn and everybody's okay with that. And you need to learn and you need to learn. How can we learn a lot from making mistakes? Uh, is it the end of the world? No, but let's talk about a mistake with a notion of taking it out as a lesson. The problem in our culture, Romania, is shame. We were raised by shame, by shaming, by putting this pressure that, you know, you should not do this because they will see you And uh, The neighbour didn't do this, why did you? Uh, what was your grade uh, today? Four. How about your friend? Seven. You should be ashamed that you took a lower grade than him or you know you don't talk like this you should be shameful so all this stigma Mm. on making a mistake Mm -hmm. uh, brought us up brought me up my generation is running by shame Mm -hmm. uh, and guilt so because of this very negative emotions we don't talk about our mistakes because of this negative emotions that took our you know love and affection from our parents away when we were kids we don't want to make a mistake, which means we are afraid of trying. That's why we're not a population of entrepreneurs and Easter, South Eastern, Southeastern Europe is struggling. Okay. We prefer a corporate. It's safe. It's warm. The sun is there, money floating around and, uh, I can hide in my corner without being noticed. Um, so Uh, I am trying to talk to the young people, to my students and people come to me for advice, telling them um, the first thing you must do is stop lying to yourself.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: The second thing you need to do is is love your parents (laughs) for what they didn't do well. (laughs) (laughs) except that they did as best that they could but the shame that you are that you feel when you make a mistake it's not your emotion it's not it's uh, see it and accept it and put it aside Mm -hmm. okay live with it but no it's it's not a correct feeling towards don't
0: carry it around with you and uh, don't carry it uh, around okay
1: don't put your head down when you make a mistake talk about it So talking about, I tell them, let's talk about what went wrong. Let's talk about because the tendency is nothing went wrong. It's not our fault. It's somebody else's fault. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I can't deal with the fact that I made a mistake. No, let's let's talk about it, Um, and then let's use this lesson somehow. (laughs) And the second time we can talk about the, the mistake in an easier form. OK, by accepting and self-irony is very good as a, as a way to humorize the mistakes. We are, as a culture, too afraid of mistakes, too shameful, too blameful of everything else than ourselves, because we're not taught to talk about mistakes.
0: What is your biggest
1: mistake? Oh, mm. mama mia. What a question, Irina. How Um, long do we have?
0: (laughs) Um, I think, you know, this perspective changes over time. I think sometimes when we start digesting these mistakes and failures, all of a sudden they don't seem that huge. So from today's perspective, maybe.
1: Every age had a a big mistake in it, for sure. Um, They have something in common. And I think it's the mistake of hmm. um, I regret a lot not seeing things better, not being aware.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, now, is it could I have stopped it earlier or see it earlier? I don't know. I don't know. but i i I should have stopped and listened more to people as a mirror to oh, okay. to me uh, my kids were a great mirror uh, my personal life has always struggled because of my probably uh, wrong uh, my cover let's say my mm-hmm. artificial needs and values that i was not uh, uh, because i didn't know what i was and who i was um, and this is what I regret the most—that I didn't stop earlier to ask myself, okay, what the beep do you want, and who are you, and why are you going on a route that maybe it's not yours mm-hmm. deep down inside? How? What's your talent really? Is it this? Mm. So I think this is something that is common to to my throughout my young age—the uh, mistake. I didn't stop to listen to the science?
0: So in the context also of, uh, you know, building a business, building Mm -hmm. a product, um, running a startup, uh, this is something that, you know, keeps popping up again and again in the conversations that um, a lot of what it takes is you to be able to listen to the environment, to your... Customers, um, to your users, to your colleagues, to your employees. How does one develop this ability, or loses the fear of <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> listening others' opinion? And here again, I'm putting this in the context of Southeast Europe, yeah. where we're very opinionated. It, this is how I feel. I mean, I spent some time abroad, and when Super. I came back, I was like. Oh my God, here everyone has an opinion and they have to express it, and it doesn't even matter if they know about the topic or not. It's just blurping out there. (laughs) So, what did it take for you? Self confidence. Okay. Uh, uh,
1: The true self confidence. Uh, I think there is a um, very uh, profound difference between a true self confidence and a fake or fakely built sense of, uh, of uh, you know, holding the truth. <laughs> uh, people that are... I was the first. I was the most opinionated of all. There was no topic that I didn't know something about. There was no book that I could not, you know, uh, talk about. Um, because I was very afraid to say the words, I don't know. Uh, My opinions were built on fear. So what what I think is underneath all this arrogance of knowing is our fear. Fear of not being noticed, fear of not being valuable or impactful in the world. And this comes a lot with the affection that you get when you're little. Mm -hmm. If your parents are kind of saying... You know, you need to achieve something so I love you.
0: Make it conditional.
1: If it's a condition, you need to take good grades in school so that I love you. You need to have, you know, an opinion so that I love you. I remember somebody uh, asked me, there's one famous question in, in this more of a personal development, you know, coaching workshops. And is if you're not your opinions, who are you? And I blocked. I was like, what do you mean? Is there That's anything else? That's a great
0: question. That's yeah. a great if question. It, if
1: you're not okay. your opinions, who are you? Which means if you're not your convictions, mm-hmm. who are you? If you're not your, your paradigma, who are you? Mm-hmm. And it shows you there is a level which is artificially built. And underneath, you know, you are human. You are a human being that deserves love and security.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when I understood this difference between my opinions and myself... But I was old, I was like over 40, and I, a veil lift from my, my, my heart. Um, but it was long after and many you know, tragedies and, and pain that I suffered when I finally uh, discovered this kind of truth that I should not hold to my opinions because I deserve love even if I say I don't know. And I can be a good CEO even if I say, I don't know.
0: And you can be a wonder woman even if you make mistakes.
1: (laughs) And and it's okay to invite other people their opinions. Something Mm. uh, also I learned not in our culture but outside is uh, surround yourself with smarter people than you. Mm. If you're the smartest people in the room...
0: You're in the wrong room. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And for a Romanian, this is like... No, 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 no. What do you mean? I have to look good. Yeah. I have to look the smartest because then I will get promoted, and I will get attention, and I will get at the end of the day love.
0: And I have to prove it to anyone I'm speaking to.
1: <laughs> yeah. So okay. the, the it's such a it's such a soft soil in our, in underneath the education that you mm. know we our generation got. It's it, it's very soft. It's very um uh, superficial it's very it's not solid it's it's a lot too much anxiety
0: so we spoke a lot about the fake confidence but Mm -hmm. how does the what is the real confidence then how does it feel like how do you rebuild it after so many shakes in life after i don't know being predispositioned in a different way from family society how do you do that from there and i believe you know that confidence is very relevant also in for entrepreneurs nowadays Um, since we are competing on on a global market we see that in southeast europe we have huge talent and we have like really really smart people street smart people which is great for business but we lack confidence we can't do our pitches ourselves we can't do ourselves ourselves yeah, yeah. so <laughs> tell me about confidence <laughs> I, I how would, do i would yeah.
1: recommend that, <laughs> <laughs> in a, on a funny note i would recommend that you know we from our countries and cultures spend some time outside because i remember looking at a person which was very solid on their feet and you know being able to do a pitch. And he was not the smartest or the most educated or valuable person. He was very basic in okay, compared to how much I studied and I learned and all the grades I took and the Olympics and everything. And you know, I felt, why is he so good on his feet? Hmm. Because he's not super bright. I'm brighter, but I, I was shaking. His why? And it's, it's um, if you go outside a bit, then you start placing yourself in the right position. Mm. You say, okay, who am I? What do I know? Can I, do I know my product? Do I know the market? You know, uh, do, do I know my numbers? Uh, do I have the qualities to make me a good entrepreneur? Okay, how, what do I know? Do I know how to communicate? Can I speak good English? Do I understand financials? Can I, you know, uh, sell can I build a website? Are these basically what I need to do as an entrepreneur? Okay, do I have them? Yes. Okay. So by checking, making a list and checking with yourselves, do you have what it takes? And compare with other the Westerners and the other, you know, pitchmakers and entrepreneurs from Germany and UK and America, are they so much greater than you, actually? Okay. Mm -hmm. Did they make a mistake? Yes. Did they lose money? Some of them, many of them, many times. Mm -hmm. And why do they start again? Because they trust the process. Mm -hmm. They trust that by learning and doing, they will get
0: eventually to their.
1: Eventually to a good enough level of satisfaction. So they learn every day, they do, they act. Mm-hmm. And they trust the process that by doing and learning, it's like a, a ball, you know, rolling and rolling and a snowball that has this multiplier effect. And trust the process. What does it mean, trust the process? It means trust time. And for a culture, we see today because we had to survive today. And it's very um, uh, ingrained in my Stomach mm. uh, to think about today and not 20 years. And uh, one quote that for Romanians is it brings a huge aha usually, it's the one that says, We always overestimate when we can, what we can do in one year, but completely underestimate what we can do in 20. So I set myself okay. a super high goal. Okay. I mm. want to. Make one million dollars this year. I hear some young people in Romania. I want to make a million quick, three years the most. And when they don't reach that, they f- fail. They, they fall, you know, uh, energetically and emotionally because they didn't plan for 20. They planned for two and they planned for a million. They didn't plan for 200 that will become half a million, that will become one, that will become three, that will become maybe a hundred million. So this idea, notion of I live 20 years and I will build something every day in my generation is, is difficult to build because we are survivals of an anxious, mm-hmm. anxiety uh, legacy from our parents. The new generation has much more chances because they think long term and they think global. And they compare. They, I, I look at this, you know, Ciprian and George and, and girls and they look uh, to tutorials and pitches, other startups in the U.S. And, and I hear them saying, oh, um, you know, I, I value that pitch, but I would have done it better or different. And I see their level of confidence is a correct one into mm-hmm. the world.
0: And When I was listening to you about, you know, doing something again and again and again, I was thinking about why we chose you know to name the recursive the recursive (laughs) (laughs) and um you know back then everyone would say no one would understand this i mean this is like a stupid name don't do it it will totally fail and everyone pretty much everyone was against it even the people in the team and uh when i'm you know now in the situation of uh, explaining what is the recursive and what does it have to do with innovation then i tell them exactly this so you start Sometimes in life you feel like you're doing something over and over again and it feels like a repetition, but in fact, it's a spiral. So each time you do it over and over again, you go through the same places, but you eventually, you do become better. So, uh, you know, believing in this recursion or, you know, embracing failure and believing that eventually you will get there where you're at least good enough (laughs) is what probably, you know, is very typical for innovators or in the innovation mindset, at least yeah. how I see it. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for, for, cool. for this reference. So when it comes to the Romanian ecosystem, and this is probably like a very kind of, you know, repetitive question, but I'm still wondering. So lately you've been experiencing this... Uh, huge success so we hear more and more success stories and uh, the confidence is actually also growing in the founders i can yes be, yeah, i can trust um yeah of course UiPath and everything around it but there are also some others you know hidden champions who are going to explode in the next couple of years um what do you think still it takes for the entrepreneurship um community to grow? Because I can imagine that at this point it's still kind of a, like a bubble. Yeah? How are we going to make it blast so that this entrepreneurial mindset is a bit more spread in the society?
1: It's a bubble. It's a very small ecosystem, actually. I mean, if you look at even the level of funds raised by startups, it, it doesn't go over 100 million. In the last two years, which is very little for a country actually to achieve.
0: Probably with last year there would be a bit more, or maybe with this year. So FinTech OS was this year. So I think yeah. you will hit in Romania definitely the hundred yeah, million maybe. bubble uh threshold. Threshold, yeah. yeah.
1: And fintacoes is a, a a great example mm. of a recent success, and everybody's following them. But if you think about having you know only one every two years or three years it's it's still very small, clearly. Um, the founders of uh, of fintacoes are not at their first uh, startup or at the, they're not very young, the typical young, uh, which means that uh, still um to become a unicorn, you, you you should not expect to to happen when you're very young. You need the resources. You need the, you know a great idea and a lot of years to develop. Uh,
0: do you tell that to your students?
1: Yeah, <laughs> do you I, do. Me? <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. I do. Luckily, it doesn't uh, they don't believe me, but, <laughs> but I do. I do. Um, Many years I, I, I blamed it on the state, saying uh, the state should give, uh, you know, um, lower taxes to entrepreneurs and mm. should uh, make easier the process of opening a company. And, mm. and, and they did. So I think it's a clear improvement that you can open very easily a company. It's harder to close it, <laughs> but you can open it very easy in Romania. And the tax level in Romania it's still one of the lowest in Europe. So I don't think it's a matter of the 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 system not encouraging, mm-hmm. but I think it's a matter of um, uh, really the size of the market, the the size of the um, selling product mm-hmm. market. Mm-hmm. So. Like Bulgaria. Okay. It's, it's a small country. If I have it's a,
0: even very smaller. It's smaller. <laughs> pretty much if I, smaller. If I
1: have a product, I cannot become a, a unicorn or not to talk about unicorn. I cannot become a, a, a great success stories if I only focus on Romania, if I sell on Romania. If you, if you take a look at the, the big core, uh, companies that started in Romania, like Emag, for mm-hmm. example, older, okay, Vivre mm-hmm. is one example, mm-hmm. Autonom Lease is another example. Um, they, they opened other markets because they realized that Romania is too, too small. Yes. If you have a niche uh, business, even more, you need to enter other markets to place your niche. In in other mm-hmm. countries, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think what needs to be to happen is that um, Romanians learn how to make their business international and mm-hmm. global. This means knowing the you know the the business environment in other countries, n- have people there to do the research properly, uh, have a lot of collaboration with uh, suppliers from countries neighboring Romania. Um, uh, and I think this will happen
0: uh, I think,
1: for the market soon.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we hear that a lot and it's totally true that scaling uh, geographically, scaling abroad for many companies is uh, kind of a challenge. And I mean, it's understandable. <laughs> the domestic market in, in each of the countries is actually very small. But what I see now is that we develop more and more like algorithms and formulas and we teach each other that uh, how, to, how to scale properly, how to, yeah. how to approach this, because you can waste a lot of money, you know, going into a new market. Then it turns out it's like the wrong one. Um, there is something that, you know, I would like to ask you about because this is, I've been, I've been wondering um, about this for, for a very long time. I was thinking that in a way, Southeast Europe needs like a, like a brand. When it comes to startups and innovation, I'm a marketing person. this is why I you know think in this way and I've been always wondering if social innovation or innovation that is related to how we can improve um, challenges that we're facing now as a, as a society and can be Like a trademark for Southeast Europe. Why? Because we can relate to many of them. (laughs) I mean, there was a joke that, you know, the crisis was, you know, wandering in the, wandering around in the world, traveling, and it's been in Brazil, and it felt like really cool, but at some point it moved, and then it went to Portugal and felt a bit better, <laughs> and then it came back to Bulgaria, we say, and it felt like home. Um, and maybe I can say, you know, the same joke about Romania, and you would understand what I mean. I mean, we've been struggling with this crisis now for how many years? I don't even care, <laughs> probably my whole life. And we repeat to ourselves also again and again that it's so difficult here and we're still in crisis and everything is shitty in our countries. Um, But again, coming to the fact that we can learn from that, can we somehow learn to make really impressive, really good social innovations? Do you believe in that? And I'm asking you because you're at Impact Hub. Yeah. You have an overview of that.
1: Uh, Impact Hub build a reputation on uh, creating programs for innovating. And I think it's a great bridge for, for the corporate to get the innovation by uh, tapping into the startup potential. Um, great minds uh, uh, and ideas coming from there. Uh, we also built a lot of programs. Uh, one, of, uh, one of them, I think it's famous already, it's Startarium, which started... It's a digital platform for learning, uh, with with mentorship, uh, workshops, and educational tools and resources. Uh, I think we've had almost fifty thousand uh, visitors on the website since we launched it um, re- last year, the new f- the new version. And I can see the hunger of mm-hmm. startups to get into to. Um, very social type of businesses. We are Mm -hmm. not doing only social entrepreneurship programs, Mm -hmm. incubators and accelerators. We do basically, um, depending on on the verticals that we want to focus on, we have agriculture, we have uh, also education, uh, but of course we also have the social problems like environmental issues, sustainability, Mm -hmm. climate change, etc., and all of them have a degree of um, social component in them. Uh, I was, I think, a couple of uh, days ago on uh, doing teaching, being a professor in front of 10 young entrepreneurs, ladies, because we have a program uh, for ladies in agriculture, ladies in food industries. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to them about sales and how to find clients. And uh, I was um, really happy to see how... Uh, motivated and exciting and happy they were because they are innovating and doing something healthy and bio and great for their uh, clients, but also using a social contexts like home, you know, um, local uh, employees and using the land that is not used or or using some uh, wasted resources to turn them into efficient resources. Um, I think, uh, as a conclusion, to answer to your question, our hunger is a factor for social innovation because we want to get out of the crisis. We want to get out of the poor. We are the poor part of Europe. Okay. We are the, you know, the ambitious but poor. And our hunger is helping us. But I am i am a pessimistic when mm-hmm. it comes to us doing the real social innovation. Because Mm -hmm. I think the other countries, they have much well-prepared people trained in the topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are universities that teach sustainability and how to deal with uh, the issues. Uh, They have resources when it comes to technology, access to funding, grants, much higher in volume than in Romania. I mean, okay. if you think about it, our grants or our incubators or our competitions, when it comes to social innovation, they give 5,000 euro price. It's nothing. Mm. OK, it, it it's good for my ego and it's good for the, I don't know, I have a kindergarten that does something for children with problems and I get 5,000 euro so I can... Buy some new furniture, or I can you know buy an equipment for handicapped children to do something better, okay, because I have this social project, but in the large scheme of things is absolutely zero. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we have the capacity to create a scaled, a a scalable social innovation, which means you build a IP, a product Mm -hmm. that can treat a social program problem that is taken over by other countries and multiplied.
0: I hear you very well, what you're saying. I mean, it's been a a challenge, I think, for many years now. Um, I see that also abroad where, you know, the Green Deal has been much more of a topic in media and, and, and everywhere that people are a bit more aware of And education. Of that. Think and about education. how many are
1: recycling yeah. in Romania or Bulgaria.
0: I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you? Do you recycle? I do, but trash? I spent like 11 years in Austria. I mean, I, I was forced <laughs> more or less That's to exciting. learn that. Okay. I don't. Yeah.
1: And I don't, not because I don't want, not because I don't care. Because the system is somehow, you know, it's a lot of obstacles. It's allowing
0: you to live quite well without it, yeah.
1: Yeah, I need the separate (laughs) bins, and then I need companies separated to come, and I don't know where to find them, and the city doesn't provide. I need to call, to call. It's a mess, okay? It's not easy. Okay. Of course, the you know, now I will we will get a call from all the NGOs in Romania saying, Ilinka, but it's not that hard. You should know. This is the number. This is the platform. But again, I'm saying if i don't know and i'm one of the okay
0: aware <laughs> aware
1: and linked and i have a network and i you know yeah i hear stuff and people talk to me about stuff if i can't
0: manage to mention yeah. The, yeah.
1: the majority of the people so we are far from being social innovators
0: oh, okay <laughs> i'm sorry you, know? you, you crushed my you crushed my ideas uh, and when you're saying that, you know, being part of, you know, Impact Hub Bucharest, then that sounds really, really awful. So people everywhere and people with funds everywhere. So social innovation and impactful ventures need you more than ever because we will be facing these challenges. I don't think that they will be, you know, getting any less over the years. They will increase.
1: I'm a big fan of another approach, which means uh, we need to help ourselves first and not necessarily consider that we will break through social innovation from Romania to other countries, okay? Not this kind of uh, build a reputation for social innovation. I don't think we can. But Mm -hmm. I think we can build a reputation consolidated on, let's say, our IT capabilities. And Bulgaria and Romania are great processors, you know, uh, project managers, IT developers, uh, and I think we should do more about this. And even FintechOS is an example of an outsourcing company. They started as delivering typical software services that went more into customized soft- software for digital mm-hmm. banking, and now, you know, sky's the limit and they're doing great, but they started from our core competence in Romania. UiPath, uh, path the same, okay?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's, I would, and I know you won't, maybe you won't like it, but let's not pretend to be something we're not. And let's, you know, like stop lying to ourselves. Yes. Like we were talking earlier, what is our core competence? If it's foreign languages and IT, Let's build startups that develop little products, little, you know, parts in the process that we can scale and give to the world Mm -hmm. Uh, to build super cool social innovations. Of course, we will and we can and a part of our economy and our NGOs and our entrepreneurs will tap into these problems. Um, But I don't think this is the key for our economy growth. Okay. Or entrepreneurship uh, ecosystem.
0: Where do you see the biggest potentials for economic growth at this point? You know,
1: IT looking? for sure. Okay. IT, big IT, which means outsourcing basically, okay. but small IT, developing products like Bright Spaces, like okay. uh, FinTech OS, like many others, many, many, many great. ZTech is a great example. There mm-hmm. are many names mm-hmm. of cool uh, companies in Romania that are building not just doing software for clients, okay, Mm. but building products, building intellectual property.
0: This is definitely true that uh, if you want to create value and to develop this value-add economy, we slowly, actually very fast, should we start moving from the typical outsourcing, where we just code for others or, you know, eh? Uh, into... Creating products and also you know keeping the IP in the countries in the economy so that um this scales. When it comes to verticals, yeah. can you make some kind of prognosis? Mm-hmm. Which verticals are you know bearing the, the biggest potential at least in Romania or in Bucharest where you have an overview?
1: Uh, what do you mean by verticals?
0: Like Proptech terms? or you know fintech again, From IP, and, you mean, yeah, What kind yeah. of niche mm-hmm. verticals?
1: <laughs> hmm. um, I'm a big fan of prop tech um, and i think it has a great potential
0: yeah
1: but i'm i i'm also looking at what else do we uh what else can we work on what what else is needed basically okay looking at the market demands, and I think it's medical and agriculture.
0: Okay, That's
1: Something that the p- p- pandemic pushed forward what, is this uh, IT for services. Mm-hmm. Basically, everything becomes online, everything becomes digital. Sure. Uh, from, you know, food delivery, education platform for kids to learn remote. So I think uh, this is also a third very powerful uh, general vertical, which is the service uh, business, mm-hmm. from banks to schools, from mm-hmm. restaurants no? to mm-hmm. car dealers. They all have to offer us stuff through their online platforms.
0: Hmm. This all makes sense. Huh. There is a lot more that I can ask you. I have to wrap up and I'm thinking <laughs> sure. of... How can we, like, like uh, wrap up this, this conversation? Um, let's put it like this. Before I ask you the final question, I'm going to ask you... So, being pessimistic about the social sector in Romania, what is your, like, mission currently? at the Impact Hub? I mean, you still should be, in a way, optimistic <laughs> about something.
1: <laughs> um, I'm optimi- very optimistic about Impact Hub, but also because it, it, we are striving for a balance mm. between our mission, which is core, which is touching our hearts and making us wake up every morning, which is supporting the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Romania. Social or not social, it's entrepreneurship. It's the engine of the future, and we strongly believe that. Mm -hmm. It gives our country independence, autonomy, value, more money, and a better prosperity. And I'm very convinced about this. On the other hand, we are combining this mission, which is building free education for entrepreneurs through our programs, okay, and supporting their growth with a commercial um, activity of our of Impact Hub, which mm-hmm. is our co-working business. Okay. And the co-working business is a commercial business, which means okay, I'm delivering value to my to companies to come and use the office, uh, ready to move in with full flexibility to do your job properly, and I'm offering a community. So you come with your startup. At impact hub or with your company it can be a corporate we have many corporate clients Mm. teams come they work from impact hub they meet the community they get more creative more innovative they get connected and they get more productive at work so we're having a ngo arm Mm. which is social Mm. but it's social because it's an NGO, but the, the type of entrepreneurship that we are um, incubating and accelerating, it's not only social entrepreneurship, yes. it's all kinds of entrepreneurs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and on the other hand, we are making money and we, we want to build a profitable business, right? Because mm-hmm. we are entrepreneurs and we are teaching others how to be entrepreneurs, so we must you know, walk mm-hmm. the talk yes. and scale our um, co-working business into developing new products for our clients. Um, So we have a combined mission to enable, basically, to be the best partner, the preferred partner, when it comes to future of work, learning, uh, and communities.
0: Communities are the new platforms also for innovation, right? Yeah, now it yeah, all makes sharing sense. Sharing yeah.
1: peer-to-peer learning, yeah. uh, this innovation word, mm-hmm. it's a buzzword and everybody's using yeah. it. Yeah. And I've never considered myself an innovator uh, personally, but in our community, for example, there are super visionary people and uh, they come in the community and they test their ideas and they ask questions and they, you know, um, uh, get feedback uh, within the community. And this is how innovation is being, being built indeed.
0: Elinka, mm. I have yet another big question. And uh, you're going to be, I don't know, what is that question? But I actually ask it to all my guests. Sure. Um, because I am kind of, you know, thinking that it reflects their kind of, their personality. And the question is, what do you want to be remembered for? If you have to think, you know, way ahead in the future.
1: I have um, come to the conclusion that I'm
0: uh, I'm
1: still exploring. I'm I'm not a formed human being. Uh, I'm let's say old enough to know that my my previous desires about fame, glory, power are uh, uh, dissipated and and not real actually, and they didn't bring me happiness for sure. Um, and I've been through uh, a lot of, let's say, personal suffering to to think twice when it comes to, okay, what I want to be remembered for. Uh, not for building anything or, uh, or a legacy or empire behind me, but I want to be remembered for, for this exploration that I'm... More for the effort, more for the journey, more for mm. the, okay... Ilynka really tried hard and then she tried again and she explored this and that. And she, she, at the beginning, she knew it all. And then she realized she doesn't know anything. And so she kept learning. So this is cool.
0: It's very interesting to listen to each person's uh, answer and then, you know, um, in a way, analyze it a bit. Um, what the makes me admire you right now is that uh, after all these years you know being so honest with yourself and not lying to yourself you came to this moment where you can totally comfortably and confidently say well I don't know yet I'm still exploring and the fact that I'm courageous enough to explore again and again and again (laughs) this is what makes you know a huge part of me. I remember I was uh... (laughs)
1: I, I uh, climbed Kilimanjaro uh, yeah. with a group of people, and <laughs> I was remember after I came from you know from the top, and I was like, "Wow, this is an amazing result!" And it it, it is. For for many people, it looks like, "Wow, you climbed Kilimanjaro. It must have been tough." And wow, and and um, <laughs> a friend of mine asked, "But why did you do it?" And I said, "Because I wanted to, you know, to get this." Uh, Achievement and to be better than yesterday, and to be uh pushing my limits and 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 she was like, Oh why? Uh, because why live a boring life, and why if you can't do this, why stop and and she was but why and and <laughs> because she asked kind of few whys, I realized it's not for the pushing my limit, it's not for the it's not for the certainty of the satisfaction that I did it it's actually. Because I didn't know or it was more for because I want to explore and to, you know, to try something because I don't know what else to do. Do you see the difference? <laughs> I, so I, I didn't get it. do it because it. I was sure about some result and I didn't do it because in itself it was something important to do. But it was because I didn't know what else to do. Sometimes you need to go to Kilimanjaro to realize you don't need to go to Kilimanjaro. True.
0: (laughs) True. (laughs) True. I'm actually also thinking quite often that we do so much in life just because otherwise we will be bored.
1: (laughs) Sometimes we do stuff because we don't want to stop and ask. And this, this idea, okay, I want to be alone with me, bored for a while. How long? A month. Okay, maybe in that month. I take some layers out, and I get rid of this fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. I was destroyed to stay one hour alone in the house because of this fear of missing out. Because this fear that I have to face myself, I have to face my feelings, my emotions, my unknowns, my anxiety, my you know. And I was like, no, 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 no. I need to do something because this is who I am. Okay, I'm. This is actually it's not who I am. It was. My way of hiding from me, but it was what I knew, I I I needed it, it. I couldn't stop, I just couldn't stop. It was so powerful, it it was much more powerful than the other me. (laughs) (laughs) The little me who wanted to come out and say, hey, I'm here, relax, you know, you're fine.
0: I have the feeling that at some point in my life I would like to go back to what you were saying. I'm not sure that I'm quite there yet. (laughs) Very young, Irina. <laughs> but um, I have this fear that maybe I'm in the same loop. We'll see. Thank you very much, Elinka, for this conversation. It's been so insightful and bringing me also, you know, to think over things. Um, very honest. You're a very courageous woman, I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you said that you're not a wonder woman, but uh, I mean, from my point of view, <laughs> this is what it takes to be a Wonder Woman, yeah. to have this courage. To say I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to say I don't know, yeah. Okay, thank with you, that Diana, in mind, very much. <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank very much. You, thank you. <laughs> so, Ilinka, I'm going to start a sentence and I'm going to ask you just to finish it in, in, a, in a short way, the way that, you know, the first thing that pops to your mind. Let's see. Okay. So, <laughs> so my favorite part of the day is, that's an easy one. To
1: dinner with my kids in oh. the evening and my, and my partner because he cooks Italian and it's so great.
0: Oh, <laughs> I got hungry now. My favorite place in the world is the dinner table. <laughs> I have
1: to say my house. I built the house on my own taste and I feel just great in it. And although I've lit, lived great times and tragic times in it, it's, it's truly my home, mm. my anchor. It's the best place in the uh, world for me.
0: Hmm. The last book I read was?
1: I read Gabor Mate, which is uh, hungry ghost, uh, the realms of addiction.
0: Mm. Success is... Oh,
1: success is learning. Success is learning for me.
0: Mentorship for me is...
1: A nice way, a, a nice way to run from responsibility. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, my smartest decision was to...
1: to buy an electric scooter. And I'm <laughs> so happy riding it through the city. And uh, I'm having a, a blast with it.
0: My hardest decision was
1: to look in the mirror. Mm. Yeah, I think to stop lying to myself. This is a a hard decision. It's a very important one, but it was hard to, to just mm. let go of, of everything that I built mm. uh, that mean, meant something, but it doesn't mean anymore much.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna finish with this one, and I would like to relate to that. I remember, you know, the moment where I decided that I'm not going to lie to myself as well. Mm. And then I had to figure out, like, what is the truth behind it? And sometimes, you know, our mind will trick ourselves with truths that we feel comfortable with. So I had to do the opposite, and I would just, you know, start asking myself, maybe this is this, and is it... I try to be as horrible as, as possible, like, as uncomfortable as possible and sometimes it would be like oh yeah this is it i didn't want to admit to myself that i was envious for instance or that i was ashamed or that i was judgmental stuff like this it's great
1: feeling <laughs> yeah no? it is it's great feeling and when it's... you start to see the truth and be okay with it it's a liberating
0: and it, now it's like my sports like my tennis you <laughs> play I don't. It's my, my mind tennis. Oh, okay. I <laughs>
1: mind tennis. I, I play, play tennis like competing so I with myself. To play tennis. <laughs> you can play uh, intellectual tennis any uh, yeah. anytime. Maybe in the future. It would be nice to keep in touch.
0: <laughs> to keep in touch. Okay, that's it. <laughs> in the next episode of the recursive podcast, we welcome seasoned entrepreneur and investor who is now running for the Bulgarian parliament. Daniel Lorer. And if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.